Greetings, brethren, all around the world. Welcome to the Feast of Tabernacles 2007. We're dwelling here in temporary booths, looking forward to the kingdom of God, the city which God has prepared for us, as Abraham was also looking forward to in his lifetime. And God is preparing a city, a wonderful kingdom for us, and it is about to come. Things are speeding up in prophetic events, as you know. And I'm very excited, brethren. I've never seen things happening this fast in prophecy and the panorama all over the world, a whole panorama of prophetic events coming together far more than any time in my 58 years in God's work. Because I came to Ambassador College and began to keep this festival uh, 58 years ago in September of 1949. And so we're really here again for the festival for about the 59th time. And it's very grateful, and I'm very grateful to be here and observe this festival with you. And certainly, all of you around the world can begin to picture God's kingdom more than ever as these things speed up. God's kingdom is a time of beauty, a time of peace and prosperity and joy. As I said, we're dwelling temporarily in tabernacles, looking forward to that time. God is even now blessing this work and empowering this work more than ever. We have more television stations. Our impact on the Internet is growing. Please look at the new front page and the other features we're putting on the Internet. We're starting the Living University, and that's going to be a wonderful thing for the young people and many of you older people, too, in God's work. And we're very grateful for that and ask your prayers and support and prayers for this undertaking. As you know, we're having far more donors and far more co-workers come with this as well. And we're very grateful for that and for the impact that that's going to have. It shows that there's a great deal of growth, not just in our imagination, but a great deal of growth in the pipeline. And now, as I shall tell you tomorrow, prophetic events are truly speeding up. Just one thing after the other is happening preparatory to the return of Christ to this earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. And He is going to come here, and we're all going to be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. And you brethren out there, and you new brethren especially, who may be keeping this feast for the first time, realize it's not something strange, it's not something different, it's something God's people have always done. God's people, going back to the time of Moses, have kept this festival. Jesus kept it. Peter, Paul, the early church kept it. And we are pioneers we are pioneers right now keeping this, looking forward to the billions of people, really billions, who will soon be keeping it in tomorrow's world because then everyone is going to be keeping it. And we're simply setting the stage. We're preparing the way and preparing, preparing ourselves to be their kings and priests, their priests, their teachers under Christ to help them learn the plan of God which these festivals picture. So turn with me, first of all, to Zechariah 14 in your Bibles, brethren, those of you who brought your Bibles this evening. Zechariah chapter 14, I often start with this because it's one of the most powerful scriptures about tomorrow's world and about Christ's coming and certainly about the Feast of Tabernacles in the entire Bible. Zechariah 14, verse 1. God tells us here, and of course he's speaking, Jesus Christ is speaking in a sense directly, Behold, the day is coming... The day of the Lord is coming, excuse me, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. 
Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. We can see that for hundreds of years the city was not divided. It was had basically one people way back in ancient Israel and then for a time Arabs. But now it's divided. You have the Arabs, you have the Palestinians, and then on the other side you have the Jews. The stage is already set for this to happen as the European power moves in there and crushes the Jewish people eventually, as we know, will take place. Then the eternal, back here as you know, the Hebrew word is Yahweh, the ever-living one, when, it caps, when it's all caps here, capital L-O-R-D. Then the ever-living one will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. I've been on the Mount of Olives four or five times. Many of you have been there. Right on this earth, right over here in Jerusalem. An airplane flight away. We need to realize that. These things are real. They're speeding up. They're going to change everything in the next several years. And so Christ is coming to the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split into massive earthquakes, massive intervention by the great God, the creator of everything that is. Turn to verse 9. And the eternal shall be king over all the earth. In that day, in the day Christ comes, it shall be the Lord is one and His name one. Now let's go down to verse uh, 16 here. It shall come to pass that everyone, not someone, but everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, and God shows that virtually all of them are going to be coming to fight Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And here we are keeping that very festival right now, picturing the coming millennial rule of Christ over the earth when men will dwell in peace. And of course, as you know, in the Old Testament, it's called the Feast of Ingathering, as I will try to explain tomorrow. The Feast of Ingathering. They had the early harvest, pictured by Pentecost, a small harvest. Then the Feast of Ingathering, the great fall harvest, when God begins to save everyone and sets His hand to save the whole world, is pictured by this festival, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Ingathering. And the whole world will come up to keep it at that time. It doesn't say they're coming up to watch the Jews keep it. It says they will keep it. And it shall come to pass that... uh, that shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, any nation, the Lord of hosts on them, uh, there will be no rain. So they will have no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. God is going to intervene. You know, I used to wonder why it says over and over, that God, of course, is going to rule the world with a rod of iron. That's mentioned at least three or four times in the Bible, perhaps more. A rod of iron, well, that sounds kind of mean. But as you see these people butchering and slaughtering one another, torturing, raping, robbing, humiliating each other all over this earth, they are mean, bestial individuals under the influence of the devil. And God is going to come back and rule them with a rod of iron, my friends, And I think as we read the news or see it on television, we can see why God has to rule powerfully. And we need to join that rule. We need to join Christ's army and help get ready to rule this earth under Jesus Christ. So he's coming back to rule, and he's going to deal with these people. They will have no rain. 
If they say, well, you just go jump in the lake. We're not going to keep your Jewish festival. It's not the Jewish festival. It's God's festival. He says, you shall have no rain. And then if they still won't enter in and keep the feast, they shall have the plague with which the eternal strikes the nations who do not come up to keep all of them to keep themselves the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. My brethren, we need to realize this is powerful stuff. It's going to be affecting the nations all over this earth. And no doubt Christ's feet will be on this earth within the next 15 to 25 years. And everything's going to change starting much before that time. The preparatory events before the Great Tribulation are underway right now, as I'll be telling you tomorrow, and as we really need to understand more thoroughly. Turn now to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, and beginning here in verse 19. Here Peter is preaching, and he says to the Jews, Repent, therefore, and all of us have had to repent and ought to keep on repenting every day of our lives and drawing closer to Christ, drawing closer to God. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing, wonderful refreshing times are going to come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, Christ coming again, this time as King of kings and Lord of lords, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, the restoring of God's whole way of life, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. Over and over, God talks about this coming time of peace and prosperity, the deserts blooming forth, everything being blessed all over the earth. He describes it in virtually every book in the Bible, or in the Old Testament particularly. Think about that. A time of restoration of all things. God's government. The whole beauty of the Garden of Eden being put back this time over the whole earth. And we're looking forward to that time. And in a very limited way, we're trying to picture that time with the warmth, the love, the joy, the fellowship, the spiritual food and feasting that we can have together here in this festival. So we need to think about that and look forward to that very, very much and restore not just the knowledge of that truth, but that way of life in our own family, our own lives, our own character, this entire church. Turn back to Daniel chapter 7, brethren. Daniel 7. Here we see some things that have to happen first and how they're all going to turn out. Daniel 7, and begin reading with me in verse 23. He's been describing how the ancient of days comes, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom, here in verse 22. And thus he said, verse 23, the fourth beast, this final revival he's actually beginning to describe here, the great Roman Empire shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. You had the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greco-Macedonian kingdom of Alexander the Great, and then the great Roman kingdom, which was to have seven revivals. And the seventh revival is now being prepared right now in Europe. It shall be different from all the other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them or like them, and it shall be different from the first ones and subdue three kings. Of course, as the ten 
uh, consecutive horns begin to come forth, the, the first three uh, kings and then the seven ones that were revivals of the Holy Roman Empire coming later, the first three kings were uprooted by the papacy, the Vandals, the Heroline, and the Ostrogoths, as we've explained in our literature. And he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, this little one, this little horn, very powerful little horn that dominates and sits on the beast. Later it's called in Revelation 17, not a little horn, but a woman, a great whore that rides the beast. But here it's described as a little horn, and he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. My brethren, even now, if you've been reading your newspapers, it doesn't say very much about it on television, frankly. The television news is often pretty empty. They're talking about O.J., O.J., or Elion, Elion, or uh, this, this woman that had uh, her problems and so on. They keep going on with that stuff. These empty-headed Hollywood actors or actresses and what happens to them. And they don't tell what's really happening and going to affect your life. And so we do need to read and read carefully the world news. A lot of you can get the details off the Internet if you can't take a good newspaper. We here take a number of newspapers and magazines as well as the Internet news. But the, this being, this man, is even now speaking pompous words and saying that his church is the only church and all the other churches are not churches. More than ever, this man is beginning to exalt himself. Whether he will be the final one, we don't know. That's why Jesus said to watch and to pray. But the one in that office is already beginning to stir himself and say words like that that are very offensive to other churches, but yet, strangely, most of the Protestant leaders are pretty quiet about it. They're kind of afraid, they're confused, and when the time comes, they're going to run back to Mama. Most of them, they will come right back into the mother church. You watch it. They don't even begin to have the understanding or the faith and courage that they should have if they were faithful ministers of God. But this man eventually shall persecute the saints of the Most High. He did do that. That is the man in that office for hundreds of years during the Dark Ages. And he's going to start doing it again at the time of the end. And we need to be ready for that, to have faith and courage. It has to get darkest just before the dawn. Understand. Look beyond the darkness. Look toward the dawn. And he shall intend to change times and laws. Yes, he's changed God's Sabbath into pagan Sunday. He's changed the holy days of God. And, of course, he, he's changed them into Christmas, picturing, you know, Christ, a little helpless baby away in a manger, and Easter, which is at a wrong time, and pictures the dead Christ, and does away with the very sign Christ gave that he was the Messiah, that he would be in the grave three days and three nights, and the Easter, or Good Friday, Easter, Sunday tradition does away with that very sign. Think about it. Satan has put these things in people's minds to obliterate the plan of God so they can't know the true God and they can't know His plan. These other things look good. They have family celebrations and people sing carols at Christmas. It's all happy stuff. It looks good on the surface. But it obliterates, it destroys the knowledge of God's plan in the mind of millions and billions, in fact, of human beings, when you think of it over time and over generations. He shall intend to change times and laws. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. 
as it is for three and one half years. You look that up back in Revelation uh, 12, 14, and several other places in Revelation, you'll see it's, it's three and a half years, it's uh, 42 months, uh, and it describes it in detail, 1260 days over and over. Three and a half years is shown to be the time of this horrifying great tribulation where this little horn, this false prophet, is in charge sitting on the beast and guiding the coming Roman Empire and his final revival to persecute the true people, the true church of Almighty God. But it's not going to go on forever, just three and a half years. Then the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High." We're not going off up to heaven. Again, God has put that, or Satan has put that false idea in people's minds. It's going to be on this earth, the kingdoms of this earth under, under heaven, the whole, uh, all the kingdoms shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That had better be you and me. We have got to walk with God, talk with God, commune with God, give our lives to God, and prepare by studying His Word, by studying His law, by practicing His government in the church today, preparing every way we can to be those kings and priests under Jesus Christ in tomorrow's world. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. Yes, they will in tomorrow's world. And then there will be real peace and lasting prosperity, and a depth of joy this world has never, ever remotely understood. So let's realize that we have a lot to look forward to, but a lot of big religious events are going to begin to happen as this beast over there comes up, and as the little horn, the false church, begins to assert itself, and the other churches are going to be astonished at what is going to happen, and even false miracles, of course, are going to be performed by this false religious leader. But then Christ will come back, and as I said, He will have to rule these people at first with a rod of iron. They're not going to listen any other way, and I think we understand that. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 now, brethren, in your New Testament. Colossians chapter 3. Here Paul is preparing us for what we ought to be doing. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, if you come up from the watery grave of baptism, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Picture Christ there at God's right hand, Him coming back, a kingdom to be set up, the whole world being ruled by Jesus Christ. Set your mind on things above, what Christ is preparing, and God as they set forth the, the details of their kingdom, as they see how we're developing, how we're growing, whether you'll be over five cities or ten cities, the responsibility each one of us will have. Not on things on the earth. We get all absorbed in our daily lives, and we're looking around and think, well, our neighbor did this, or someone in our office did something bad. And so we get all buggy about little tiny things that have virtually no significance whatever, and we'll not even remember a hundred years from now, let alone a thousand years from now. Set your mind on that big picture, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, if you have given your life to God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, and boy, He's going to appear in power and glory and magnificence at a, the end of a series of seven trumps, and the earth will be shaken by that noise, 
And by the greatest earthquake in human history and all the rest of it described in prophecy, as you know, then he will come back. So remember that. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then, you see, if you've been focusing on the kingdom of God and giving your life to God, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And I don't think we can fully understand that glory. We have not been that way before. But we will understand it then, and it will be magnificent. Turn now over to verse 16. I'd like to read the whole chapter, but just read certain key verses we have time for. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Brethren, these things aren't real to you unless you feed on this book. Study your Bible. Read your Bible daily. Meditate on it. Think about it. You may not have the time for personal detailed Bible study back in your room as much as you might have at home, but you should perhaps go over your notes and over the Bible briefly, even during the festival but you'll have the opportunity to open your Bible during these sermons and take notes and go home, meditate on it, and study the Bible on your own over and over. Not just reading a psalm or some proverb or some other chapter here and there for inspiration, like most of us used to do back in the Protestant church, but really think I'm going to go through this whole book and that whole book and understand it and say, Father, help me understand your mind your plan, your purpose for my life. Help me understand what it's all about in detail and the kind of person you really want me to be. And feed on Christ by studying His Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, do it in the name. And so as you're acting for Christ, He is living in you. Everything you do in your marriage, your child rearing, your job, dealing with your neighbors, other human beings, do it as Christ's servant in the name of Christ, so that Christ's Spirit, Christ's example, Christ's teaching permeates literally every phase of your life. Most of you have known, as I have, some people, they're really good and this and that in some other way, and yet overhears some secret sin. Maybe the man is secretly watching filthy things on the Internet or something. Pornography. He looks good, but there's something wrong. You sense it by little problems. You find out he's into pornography, or maybe he's into drunkenness, or some woman is into worshiping her children and puts them way ahead of God and Christ and everything else. Or some man is putting his money ahead of everything else. Or whatever it is, whatever your God is, beside the real God, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Let Christ fully rule your life. And then you can join Him in ruling this earth and fulfill the purpose for which you were created. So whatever you do, do in Christ's name. Wives, submit to your own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. And you should do that with all your heart. God tells you, husbands, love your wives. Sometimes wives talk too much or talk back or fuss, and husbands can get bitter. Love your wives, and do not be bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And children living at home, certainly up until they're 18 or 20, should obey their parents. As they get older, they should move out. And uh, they don't have to obey their parents, but they'd better honor their parents for the rest of their lives and try to learn from their parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Don't just be picking at them, lest they become discouraged. 
Servants, and we all have bosses, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fear in God. You see, honor Christ in every phase of your life. He's telling us in detail many of these areas and what we should do. And whatever you do, here he says it again in a general way, whatever you do, do it heartily. Love your wife with all your heart. Love your husband with all your heart. Love your children. Teach and train them with all your heart. Do the best you can in your job. Serve your boss. Do the best you can. Go above and beyond. Learn about the business with all your heart. Be a good worker. Be a good professional, whatever you're into. Be a good neighbor with all your heart. Be a good church member with all your heart. Do it heartily as to the Lord. You're not just doing it for man but for the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord, from the Lord Jesus Christ, you will receive the reward. He's going to come to this earth as King of kings and give you that reward several years from now. Are you ready? For you serve who? You serve the Lord Christ. That's whom we serve. And let's learn to do that with all of our hearts and walk with Christ more than we are even here and now. Turn now, if you would, to Second Peter, brethren. Second Peter, and I'm going to begin reading here. And Second uh, Peter, chapter one, verse two. Second Peter, chapter one, verse uh, two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things. And God has prepared a wonderful future for us that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. God has given us magnificent promises, and boy, we ought to focus on those and be so grateful that through these, through God's promises, through God's Holy Spirit coming inside of you, you may be partakers of the divine nature that you will have placed within you by the Holy Spirit the very nature of God, the very nature of Christ. Jesus said back in John 14, we will come inside of Him and dwell with Him, those who keep God's laws and walk with Him. The divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Again, do things with all your heart. Add to your faith. So you start out with faith. And then with diligence, you add virtue, which means strength of character. You believe in God, but then you've got to do it. You've got to let Christ live His life in you. That prepares you for the coming government of God more than any other thing. To add to virtue, knowledge. You don't want to say, well, I think this is what I should do. No, you've got to study the Bible to find out how Christ really did live, what He really tells you to do. Get knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. Obey the laws and ways of God. Control yourself and control your vanities, your lusts, your selfishness, your greed. Add to self-control. Perseverance. Don't give up and quit the first time hard times come along. Perseverance. And add to perseverance, godliness, to where you sincerely want to be like God with all your heart. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. Certainly that's what you need to have. Brotherly kindness, you're not just thinking, I'm like God, and then kind of put your neighbor down. No, you've got to have brotherly kindness to try to reach out to other human beings on a continual basis through Christ living within you. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But for he who lacks these things, if you lack brotherly kindness, if you lack godliness, if you lack knowledge, if you lack faith and self-control, you're in trouble. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was purged. You should have been purged and cleansed from these old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. Always he tells us to do whatever we do with all our hearts. Be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. You're called, but to be elected, you've got to be overcomers to make your calling and election sure. No, he doesn't just say believe and then you go up to heaven like some of them say. No, you've got to be diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if, big if, if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be as applied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, the Protestants say, just believe and that's all. But no, God says, if you do these things, He gives it to you. You don't earn it. But as Mr. Armstrong used to say, there are conditions. The conditions are that you surrender to follow God's way of life. And that doesn't earn it for you. That's what you ought to do anyway. But on those conditions, once you believe in Christ and surrender to Him so He can live this kind of life within you, that's the only way you can do it anyway, then He will give you eternal life, eternal life in the everlasting kingdom, the kingdom that never ends the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will live forever. And we have the opportunity to serve with Christ, to serve with God, to serve with the spirits of just men made perfect. All those men and women to be resurrected. And we will join them and fellowship with them and interact with them forever in the kingdom and family of God. We certainly have a lot to look forward to. Think about God's love. Think about what God has in mind, brethren. Turn back to Psalms, if you would. I want to conclude here by just turning to a couple of Psalms. And first of all, in Psalm 5, beginning in verse 11, here from David, the man after God's own heart. But let all those rejoice, put their trust in you, David said. Boy, how God wants people to learn to trust in Him, to know that He's there, to understand that His way is right, and to believe that, and then to do that living faith. Those that put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy, because you defend them. And we're to learn to shout for joy as we learn to look forward to the kingdom of God. As we see these things getting closer and closer, we're to lift up our heads, for our redemption is coming very soon. And if some of, them have, of us have to die, if some of us have to be beat up, if some of us have to be thrown in prison, we can still lift up our heads and understand it's closer, it's closer, it's closer. It's going to come. We are winners. We are not losers. And God has prepared us to be winners. Let also those who love your name be joyful in you. We're to be joyful. For you, eternal, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. God will give us favor. Will He ever let us be persecuted or something? Yes, but overall, He will deliver us. And the vast majority of us, brethren, as you know, will be taken to a place of safety from the great tribulation if we walk with God, those who are really Philadelphians in heart and mind and spirit. If we really walk with God, we can be taken to a place of safety. As we hear the rumbles of the earthquakes and the far-off maybe bombs and things happening and so on, we can lift up our heads and say, boy, look at the, get the, get the door of our cave if, if it's a place like Petra and look over there somewhere and realize over there people are suffering. We're here. 
We're here in a place of safety, in a place of final training, perhaps, getting ready for the coming government to be set up in a very few years with headquarters right down the road from Jerusalem. That's where I, I drove up from Jerusalem to there, from Jerusalem, and we'll drive right back to Jerusalem, uh, to Jerusalem when Christ comes back. And that's the way it's going to be in general. God's kingdom will be on this earth, ruled from Jerusalem. In chapter 16 now, brethren, chapter 16, and notice here in verse 11, Psalm 16, verse 11, David wrote again, You will show me the path of life. God has shown us how to live. He's told us to keep this festival, to look forward to the coming kingdom of God, to draw us closer to one another, closer to God as we come out picturing this magnificent kingdom that's about to come. And so we learn more about that, think about that, focus on that during this festival. He will show us the path of life. And your presence is fullness of joy, not sadness, but joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. You brethren, even you young people, you think, oh, there's a lot of fun out there in this bar, this nightclub, or this crazy television. Oh, yes, very temporary sensations. But the depth of joy that lasts forever is when you fulfill the purpose of your Creator and you walk with Him, and He gives you wonderful families. He gives you good health. He's going to create a whole new earth, and everything is going to be filled with love and joy and peace and prosperity and blessings such as we cannot fully understand. Let's look forward to it. Christ is coming soon. Let's get ready, brethren. Let's do our part. Let's overcome. Let's rejoice in this festival and honor Christ in it. So have a good rest tonight. Say your prayers. Say your prayers every day. Walk with God. Pray with, pray to God. Serve God. Love each other during this festival. Have a good night's sleep. And see you tomorrow morning.